community so that uh, we can love one another and share all of the goodness and grace that You've poured out upon us. We just pray, Father, tonight that something will be said that will minister to our hearts and bless us. And we praise Your wonderful name. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, uh, it's been so long since I <laughs> have taught. Well, you know, we had that break and uh, in there for so long, and uh, things are have changed. I'm not really sure what will really happen tonight. We'll we'll find, we'll find out. And uh, one good thing is that um, I'm going to try to teach from an iPad, and uh, that will prevent the overhead light and getting so hot. And um, I, I'm excited about it. I, I hope it works out for us. Hope it uh, hope it works out for me. Uh, you know, I'll be teaching for, we'll say, the next three months. It's really six lessons. And uh, I'm not going to teach a series. I'm just going to teach six individual lessons. And they're not connected in any way. But each message is something that was put together during the pandemic. And prophetic, I don't think so. But I think a message that uh, uh, I, I feel that's important to share. Uh, again, as mentioned, they're all different. What I want to share with you tonight, you might think, well, wow, that's a strange topic, but I want to talk about why creation matters. Now, I'm sure that sounds very strange. Some of the things that I want to share, though, will somehow overlap a little bit with some of the things that Randy taught, although they're not the same things as Randy taught, but they're certainly along the same lines. And I'm sure you'll pick it up when you hear it. So, uh, uh, we'll get started here tonight. Uh, our country is engaged in the greatest war that it's ever been engaged in. We're not engaged, you know, in the rice paddies of Vietnam. We're not involved in some, uh, uh, some uh, Islamic stronghold in Syria, the deserts of Iraq, the mountains of Afghanistan. What we're involved in is not a war with guns and bombs, but it's a war of ideologies. And it's as if the devil himself is just breathing fire on America. The war is a war of worldviews. It's a war for the very heart and the very soul of this nation. And if we lose this war, we're going to lose America. That's what's at stake. Now, I'm not a military man. Uh, I have the greatest respect for those who serve in our military and for our nation. We owe them the highest respect. Uh, I've benefited from five or six different exemptions that were available at the time. But I have read a little bit about the military. And I know this, that before the United States Marine Corps sends our troops into battle, they sit down and they have a briefing. 
And there's the Joint Chiefs of Staff. There's the National Security Council. There's this military brain trust that is put together. And they prepare what is known as a five-paragraph order. Now, what I'm going to do is take three of those items and put it together for the lesson that I want to share with you tonight. Three of those things. So, number one, they determine what is our situation. Then, what is our mission? Then, how are we going to go about executing the mission so that we experience nothing less than victory? So, we brief our soldiers in order to do what? To protect their lives. And we have a responsibility now because so many spiritual lives are being lost. Who are they? They are our youth and our young people. They're being stolen from us. So, number one, what is our situation? That's the one thing that we're going to determine in our briefing. That's the place to start. So, here's the situation. We are being told by the public education system, by the major universities, by the news media, and unfortunately, we're also being told by many church leaders that parts of the Bible are no longer relevant today. We're being told that we need to reinvent God's Word. And I read about this every single day, seven days a week. Now, that's the situation. So, in order to understand how to fight the battle, we've got to know what the battle is that we're fighting in. What kind of things are we going to go up against? Knowing this, the number one responsibility of a shepherd is to do what? To protect. To protect. We think it's to evangelize. But the one number one responsibility is to protect, to alarm, to warn, and to inform. It's not to evangelize. It's not even to pray for those who perhaps want healing. Now, we're going to start our study right out of 1 Corinthians one twenty-three, Real short. Here's what Paul said. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. I want you to notice that when Christ is preached, the cross and the resurrection, it's preached to the Jews. It's a stumbling block. Now, in the second part of that verse, unto the Gentile world, or to the Greeks, the cross and the resurrection, same message being preached, it is foolishness to them. Here's the question. Why the difference? If we don't understand the difference, we're not going to know how to fight the battle. So, why the difference? Well, in Acts chapter 2, we begin to find out what the difference is. You're familiar with that chapter. In Acts 2, 22-24, here's what Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost to the Jews. He says, you men of Israel, I want you to hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, He was a man approved of God among you. How? By signs and miracles and wonders which God did by Him in the midst of you 
which ye yourselves you also know. He was delivered up by the predeterminate counsel of God and the foreknowledge of God, and you have taken Him, and you have crucified and slain Him, whom God raised up because He should not be loosed of the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be beholden of it. He then quotes the Old Testament prophets in verses 30 to 33. He concludes in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all of the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made Him both Lord and Christ, whom you have crucified. So here's Peter preaching to the Jews. He preaches the cross. He preaches the resurrection. They call it a stumbling block. Now, when Paul preaches the same message to the Greek nation, to the Gentile world, they see that message as foolishness. Why? Because the Gentile world does not understand Moses and the prophets. They do not believe in a Creator God. You see, Jews had a system of faith. They had belief in God. They believed in one God. They had witnessed the power, the authority, and the control of that one God all of their generations. The Gentile world, the Greeks, not so much so. Now, in Acts 17, verses 16 to 34, Paul comes into the nation, uh, uh, into, into the nation of Greece, to Athens. He's waiting there, and as he waits there, I'll find my place here, his spirit is stirred within him. He does like most of us would do. He goes throughout the city, the city square, and he says, I walked around, and what I saw was a city wholly given to idolatry. He says that in verse 23. And he said in verse 23, I passed by and I observed your worship. And he said, I saw this altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. This unknown God, whom you ignorantly worship, this God, I want to declare Him unto you. This God has made the world. And He's made all of the things that are therein seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, and He dwelleth not in temples made with hands. What does He preach? God is Creator. And God is Creator was unknown to them. And God is Creator is unknown to our youth and our young people today. He's the unknown God. Now, here was a nation that was steeped in paganism and in heathenism. If God would not overlook them, well then, why would God overlook our youth and our young people today? The fact that God was unknown to them disturbed Paul. And it ought to disturb us today. You see, Paul felt a personal responsibility to make the God of creation known to them. Why would our responsibility be any different? Now, back to 1 Corinthians. What does he do? In 1 Corinthians where we started, 
He goes back and He lays the foundation. The foundation is that God is greater. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, 22-29. And in verse 27, He says that God has chosen the weak things of the world to confuse the things uh, uh, that are uh, strong and to confound those that are mighty. There is a foundation to our Gospel. And it is the foundation that's being overlooked today. There's so many churches. There are church leaders and there's pastors who do not believe in the foundations anymore. They're even trying to reinvent it. Do we understand that? We're no longer an Acts 2 nation. Rather, we have become an Acts 17 nation. Because our youth and our young people, well, they're not being taught about a greater God. They're not being taught about the God of creation. So, where do many churches stand today? Now, you might think, no, y'all wouldn't, but you might think, I'm just going to make this up. No. I just happened to run across a poll that Barna did. And Barna does religious polling. It's it's reliable. It's straightforward. It's dependable. It's honest. Well, they did polling last year. And in their polling, not my words, they revealed a dramatic drop in biblical beliefs among American Pentecostals and Charismatics. According to the poll, you see, we proclaim in God we trust. It's on our money. But only a slim 51% really believe in a biblical view of God. Is this not a redefining of God? Is this not just an outright rejection of God? Now, the largest decline since 1991, and this is the polling, for the last 30 years, the largest decline has been among Pentecostals and charismatic churches, and it's equally among the young and the old. Yes, charismatics tend to affirm a biblical definition of marriage. Perhaps they pray more. Maybe they have a strong personal emphasis on personal piety and devotion. Perhaps they give to ministries. But And over the years, they did affirm biblical fundamentals. But now, there's a significant drop in the belief of the God of the Bible, the God of creation. And we're seeing the results of our failure to teach doctrinal foundations. We're choosing instead to major well on spiritual experiences and personal issues. What cannot be denied is our failure, especially in some of our largest and some of our most visible ministries is to preach a clear and a convincing gospel, a gospel that convicts of sin and points people to the cross, to call for repentance, to teach more on the nature of God, to teach on the creation of God. Oh, we've done a good job teaching on, you know, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but then we fail to even emphasize that that same Holy Spirit is responsible for creation. You see, in times past, we preached that sinners were wretched 
and that grace was amazing. But today, hmm, we tell sinners how amazing they are, and we just make grace a needless afterthought. In times past, we preached the gospel of salvation. Today we preach a gospel of self-improvement. Today we preach that Christ came so that He could fulfill your dreams and to make you into a bigger and better you. You see, we used to preach the gospel of self-denial. Today we preach the gospel of self-realization. So much heresy. And it's running rampant in the church because we're not clearly preaching the reality of eternal judgment, the reality of heaven and hell, nor do we declare the creation of heaven and earth and all that is therein by an all-powerful, sovereign, holy, and divine God as Paul preached in Acts 17 and 24. Somehow we've created this Christian culture. What does Christian culture do? It denies Scripture. It denies the creation. It removes the gravity of God's holy commandments. And it just makes much of the gospel nothing more than multiple choice. Perhaps you don't agree. Maybe you don't think so. Maybe you think I've misrepresented somehow the truth. That fundamental churches avoid controversial topics such as creation and sin and hell and repentance and the covenant of marriage. So I thought about that. So I'll dare you. I dare you to go online because I have. I want you to go online. You go to any number of church websites and you go to recent sermons. Go to their sermon library. Pull them up. And likely you will not find a single sermon in past years. On such subjects. Now, if you go to Jesus' library of sermons, you know, those in the four Gospels, you go to the apostolic letters, you go to the message of the prophets, what a difference in that sermon library and the sermon libraries of fundamental churches. Don't we see that the culture is influencing the church rather than the church is influencing the culture with the Gospel? Churches today, they are concerned with church growth. They're concerned with multi-campus church buildings, even having some in different cities. Let me ask you a question. Where is that biblical? Give me one example. One biblical example. Because every example in the New Testament is local church autonomy. A shepherd can only shepherd one flock. You can't shepherd multiple flocks. This is exactly the same way that the Roman Catholic Church came about. They had to have bishops over a region. And then they had to develop a college of cardinals. And then in time, well then they had to have a central authority called the Pope. I see right now I lose my place when I move my hands. But it's here somewhere. 
That's the last thing I said. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going along here. I was just thinking it was following me. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you see, modern day churches, they focus on staffing. Concert style music. That's become a light and a sound show. And these have become the main goals. Rather than the goal being the Great Commission. And having an intensive instruction program. The Great Commission is preach the Gospel. But we no longer have teachers in our churches who are skilled in the Word. I mean, we've eliminated Sunday school. We've eliminated Sunday night. We've eliminated Wednesday night. We've eliminated outside Bible conferences in most of our churches where people come in and over a period of days. These were times for intensive Bible instruction when you and I were growing up. And in many of our Christian schools, we have teachers who do not possess the knowledge to equip our youth or to defend the faith. Don't you see the church is going to pay a huge price for our lack of intensive teaching? I mean, don't think so. Look at Europe. 100 years ago on the continent of Europe, some of the most powerful preaching since the first century was on that continent. Today, you could count all of the effective ministries on the entire continent on one hand. That's what happens. What happens when the church stops teaching parts of the Bible? It's easy. Well, the world gives the answers. And that's what's happening to our youth and our young people today. Because many of our churches and our Christian schools do not teach apologetics. You bring up the word apologetics, well, the term is a foreign language. They don't know what you're talking about. And our, our youth do not believe in the creation account. And as a result, not what I say, again, six independent studies recently concluded that over 60% of youth are leaving the church, fundamental churches. An estimated six to 8,000 are converting to Islam monthly. Don't you think that's a very high casualty rate? That's the reason I shared, or one of the reasons I shared that nine-lesson study on the religion of Islam. So why are our youth and young people leaving? Well, number one, Christianity is perceived as being shallow and exclusive. So I want to say right up front, the church is exclusive. John 14.6 Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father except by me. Well, that's one reason that I have never accepted the idea that the church is multicultural. If there's only one way to the Father, it's not through Buddha, it's not through Mohammed, It's only through Jesus Christ. Does that not exclude all other ways to get to the Father? Therefore, the church of Jesus Christ is exclusive and it's not multicultural. 
Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven given whereby men can be saved. So, exclusive, yes. But the church is also the most inclusive. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But what about shallow? Again, don't take my word for it. Go to the library of sermons and listen to them. I mean, many worship services, when you listen to the services, I mean, they're limited to praying for those who have needs. And I'm all for prayer. That's valuable. But that's not an intensive instruction program. They pray for the needs of those who are present. They offer an invitation. They, sh- they share some short little discourse on some relevant topic. And then they wonder why we don't grow. So, number two. Then Christianity appears to be any science. Now, there's no reason for that assumption. Who created the scientific principles out there? God did. God is not contradicting Himself. Because true science does and will always support the Word of God. He is the Creator of all things. And God is not in a battle with Himself. Number three, our youth and our young people are heavily indoctrinated into evolution. And as a result, they're not prepared to defend their faith against evolutionary teachings because churches dare to take a stand. Don't think so? Well, I thought about this one. So, when is the first time? Well, let me repeat that. When is the last time you heard any pastor declare the creation of God and then set out to biblically defend and scientifically defend the creation of God. Dr. Doug Stockholm is the endowed chair of biology out of uh, Texas Tech. Uh, He and his wife Kathy, they're very dear friends of ours. We've gone on a vacation with them. We eat with them. They're just good friends. And someone might think, well, why do you fellowship, uh, fellowship so much with someone who's an evolutionist? Well, it gives us the opportunity to defend the faith and talk about the creation of God. Now, I'm not an expert, but I'm telling you that there are books that have been written by... Um, such authorities like Ken Ham. And these are available. But have you even heard so much as a single lesson being taught? See, Christian schools, well, uh, they have followed suit by their lack of emphasis on the inspiration of the Bible or belief in the Word of God. And the creation story is misaligned if it's taught at all. See, Christian institutions at every level lack teaching specific and scientific evidence for a creator. And there's numerous books out there that provide evidences for our faith. God is creator. 
My opinion is every home should have a copy of Evidences That Demand a Verdict by Josh McDowell and it should be read, taught to our children and our grandchildren. Do we need evidence that there is a Creator? Do we? Let me make a suggestion to anyone who needs evidence that there's a Creator. In the privacy of your own home, especially maybe when you're all alone, what I would suggest you do is remove all of your clothing and get naked and stand in front of a full-length mirror and look at the human body. Look at how we are made. Look at the brain, the memory, the eye. Think about that. Thousands of nerves. How does all that function? Our taste, our smell, our hearing, our arms, our legs, our limbs, our lungs, our digestive system, all of our systems. Think about them. The human heart, the capillaries, the human brain, our circulation system, our reproductive system. Think of all of the intricate detail. Did you know that our lungs inhale and exhale 11,000 liters of air every day? Don't you think that supports design and intelligence and a Creator? I mean, did you know that if you took all of the blood vessels and the capillaries in the human body and you lined them up, how long do you suppose that might be? A mile? Maybe 10 miles? How about 60,000 miles? That's what it is. Now, can you imagine putting a machine together with 60,000 miles of wiring and then have it work? Can't imagine that. But God did. And that's just one of the things that He did. His Word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that is so true. Did you know that each human cell has around six feet of DNA? So at a minimum, each person has around 68 trillion feet or around 10 billion miles of DNA. Now to put that in perspective, the earth is about 93 million miles away from the sun. DNA demands a creator. It also tells you what your sex is. I mean, those who deny a creator foolishly must believe somehow that Webster's Unabridged Dictionary was somehow was the result of an explosion in a print shop. Paul declares in Romans 1 and 20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world they have been seen. They're understood by the things that are made. What are those things? Even His eternal power and Godhead. And for that reason, they're without excuse. Did you know that you can know the Godhead not by going to church, 
But by looking at creation, that's what God claims. College is such a hostile environment towards Christianity, especially anybody who believes in creation. And we're setting our youth and our young people up for failure because we're not teaching them about creation. Many of our youth and our young people, they cannot defend the faith that they claim to believe. I mean, they think they're saved. Are they? I mean, failing to even believe in the God of creation? And you have to go on mission trips? Maybe they work out at the fair at a hot dog stand? They're active in fundraising? Don't you see we have a problem? Take a look at American culture. Since so many of our youth are leaving the church, we need to understand why. I'll give you the wrong answer. Let's reinvent the church. Let's be more like the culture. That's what a lot of churches are doing. That's what the survey found since 1991. They make no demands of young people. They bow to their wishes. I've mentioned the music ministry. Because they make it a light and sound show. I mean, a fog machine? It's like a Saturday night concert. Worship God in the dark? God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. Let them have coffee and donuts. Come in, interrupt the worshipers casually as they get ready. Show a lack of concern or interest, respect for the sanctity of worship. Our God is Creator. So what's the correct reason why so many are leaving? We need to understand how that the culture is challenging God's Word and train our people how to respond to these challenges. We can do that in one word. It's called education. Real education. Playing games, socializing, flag football, sharing experiences, these do not qualify. Coffee and donuts, indifference to a study of God's Word, this creates an unlearned people. To be doers of God's Word requires knowing the Word, teaching the Word, verbalizing the Word. Now, that's education. I was thinking this last summer, because we know kind of what happened around our nation. We saw so many statutes coming down. Now, you may have a particular feeling about that, but I know it disturbed a lot of people. It disturbed me. And yet, <clears throat> I was thinking then about the church. Well, they removed the songbooks. Nobody said a word. They removed the Bibles. Nobody said a word. Took down the Christian flag. Nobody said a word. Removed the cross. Nobody said a word. In the churches where they would recite the apostolic creed, don't hear that anymore. And in some churches we got this chant, We are! We are! Whoever we are. Think about that. That's the culture. Don Byerly, he holds a Ph.D. in life sciences. In his book, Surprised by Faith, 
He made this statement. He said, at this time, at that time I was 14 years old. And during the subsequent few years, I didn't see the church as a source for answers. I was asking why. I couldn't find answers. This is a typical response from America's youth today, young people. Why? Because the church is not providing the answers. The churches are not using their staffs. They're not using their pastors. They're not using their teachers, nor are they using their facilities to instruct in the Word of God seven days a week. We've got multi-million dollar budgets, and yet somehow we can't educate our youth. Ken Ham and Avery Foley, they wrote in their book, Why Young People Leave the Church, these young people are not getting solid answers from church leaders nor from parents. If you remember, I shared with you that true story of Jennifer Harrell. Remember her? She's the young lady in the, in the Dallas area that was the ordained Methodist youth minister. She went to work for a company there in the Dallas area. And there were a number of Muslims that were employed there and around the water cooler and at the break room. Well, they began questioning her about her religion and their beliefs. And then they shared with her some things about uh, the Muslim religion and she couldn't answer the questions. So she went to her pastor and she went to church leadership that she trusted. And they couldn't answer it for her either. And she converted to Islam. Well, sadly, it's happening all over America. And young people are being told they can believe in the Big Bang. They can believe in millions of years. They can believe in evolution. And then they're admonished to reinterpret or ignore the book of Genesis but then they're told, oh, but you've got to believe in Jesus. Well, if I remember, Jesus quoted Moses. And Jesus quoted Genesis. Don't you see that's a contradiction? No wonder they're confused. No wonder they leave the church. They lack confidence in God's Word. And where's the error coming from? Right out of the church. This is the battleground. This is the war, and it's killing our children's faith. We need to understand that if we're going to wage this war for our children's souls, we're going to have to defend the biblical account of the creation. That's the starting point. This is the reason creation matters. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we welcome your presence tonight in our lives. We long to always live in your presence. It's a place of safety. It's a place of blessing. And thank you, Jesus, that you are Emmanuel. And as a result, we're never alone. Keep us from anything, keep us from anyone who denies, who rejects, who minimizes, or disregards your existence or your creation and enable us to separate ourselves from whoever or whatever tries to undermine your powerful presence in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Aren't you glad it's not a series? <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be a series. <laughs>
Well, I'm going to let you teach on on the on the creation and evolution. Oh, I know. 